One more time. Hold your Bible up in the air. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. Say, I will do what it says I can do. Say, I have an open mind. I have a teachable spirit. From this moment forward, say, I'll never be the same. Say, never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Come on, give God one more praise tonight. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Seeing everybody at the at the round tables in the sanctuary, it kind of reminds me, especially at Christmas time, it reminds me of going up to Grandpa Waldeer's house for the Christmas dinner. Shelby and I had just gotten married, and we had three or four Christmas meals to go to every year. Thanksgiving was always the same thing, but at Christmas and Thanksgiving, we'd always get up there, and, and inevitably we would be seated at the kids' table in the other room. Any of you guys have that, the kids' table? And, and tonight... You're at the kids' table. Well, I know that because the butter's not scooped out just perfectly right. You know, at the, at the adult table, everything was set perfect. At the kids' table, there was just a big bowl of uh, olives because, because Sam would put one on every finger, sometimes press them down and get two on there, uh, you know. And we couldn't have candles at the kids' table because Darren would burn the house down. <laughs> well, we got to tell you, have you noticed that when you go to your table, when you sit at your table, when you bring things to the table, you bring out the best. It's the good stuff that makes it to the table. Amen? It, it's the, it's the, for the holidays, it's the best dinnerware. The good glasses. Right? We have glasses that we don't see all year long that show up during the holidays. They sit there, and when you reach for it, Shelby, slap shade, don't even touch it, don't even do it. Not until the dinner time, and then immediately afterwards, they're taken and put back into hiding. Because she'd like to use them again someday. Right? Only the best comes out. Only the best comes out. And isn't it interesting that when you put it away, you put it in a safe place. But there are other things that would never make it to the table that have been put away, but not for safekeeping, just to get them out the way. Things that used to be at the table are no longer at the table, they're at the shed. You've moved it off the table, you've packed it in a box and taken it to the shed because it's been replaced with something that's better, something you like more, and now that's at the table. Shelby and I were working on the house and... Uh, you know, having new carpet laid. Don't ever do that. Because you have to take out everything. Everything moved out. And it's amazing how much stuff has not moved back. And how full the shed is now. And had to go to the shed and make room for more stuff to put in the shed. Actually considered, considered renting another place where we could take stuff that we can't remember that we have so that we could pay every month for, to store stuff that means a lot to us that we don't know what it is. You know, what a difference, the stuff that comes to the table and the stuff that goes to the shed. Moving around and, and getting room in the shed to store more stuff, I realize that there's stuff in the shed that we've had 25 years. means a lot to us. That's why we haven't chucked it out. We have to keep it. Even now, you know, I'd ask Shelby, do we need this? Yes. And put it back down there, you know, and uh, you move stuff and dust is flying, but it's been put in the shed. 
I don't know why we need it. So I thought tonight with witnesses, I just asked, do we really need all that stuff? All the stuff in this chat. I'm just, I'm not going to let her answer. I'm just going to keep moving. Anything not needed quickly vanishes. It's no longer at the table. It's in the shed. Stuff you put in the shed, you don't dust. You don't clean. You don't bring out. You leave it in the shed. We don't use the stuff in our shed. And you know what's odd? Is we don't even miss the stuff that's in our shed. There's a big difference between stuff in the shed and stuff at the table. It's huge. I want to show you a picture tonight, just real quick, right out of the Word of God, and, and about the Christmas story that kind of parallels the table and the shed. If you open your Bible and you go to Luke chapter 2, and we'll put it up here, we're going to start in verse 4. Because if I start in verse 1, there's some really cool stuff there, and I'd never make it to verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea and under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He, he went to be taxed with Mary, his spouse wife, being great with child. Look at verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end, no room in the end, no room at the table, no room at the table. I want us to consider things in our life that we no longer have room for at the table. Do you think Jesus would get seated at the kids table? Would we just slide him off and. Pack him up and put him in the shed. You know, where the tree is and the ornament. We bring Jesus out. Is he just another ornament for the holiday? There was no room for him at the end. For many, Jesus is an ornament. Break out the Christmas tree and it's amazing who shows up. I know people that when the holiday's over, we're not going to see them again till Easter. Pack away the tree, they pack away their Jesus. Can I encourage you to maybe keep him out a little bit longer this year? To keep him at the table? To make sure that he's the centerpiece? That he's not something that you have to break glass in case of emergency to get to him? That he's actually a part of your everyday life. I just got to tell you, it's kind of interesting last weekend. And, and wasn't the children's program amazing? Wasn't it awesome? Give them a hand. That was awesome. Make, make sure that when you leave tonight, as, whether you have kids or not, that you tell them how much you appreciate their investment and their labor of love. It was totally awesome. In a weird, think about it, on a snowy weekend with icy roads, 750 people came out for the program. 
How many would have been here had there not been a program? Now, I'm not suggesting we don't do the program. Obviously, we want to do the program so that we can see some of those 750 people. But it's just, it's the elephant in the room. You know, that we got to talk about that a lot of us, Jesus is too much of an ornament. Not the centerpiece at our table. We don't have room at the table. I want to give you five things that will kind of cause you to forget to bring him to the table. That will cause you to miss the opportunity. And you'll end up packing him into the shed. There's a couple of things that should never be put into the shed. One of them is Jesus. The other one, I think family. I don't think family should ever be packed up and carted off to the shed. I think there's three things the enemy wants to rob from you. He wants your future. That's not years from now. That's moments from now. It's your future, your family, and your faith. And I think if you're not careful to protect those things, they get packed away. They get pushed aside. They get swallowed up by other things. And I think the first thing that will move Jesus towards the shed in our life is this, the busyness of work. Work. Everybody's got to work. I understand. But it's the pursuit, you know, the accumulation of wealth. We want a promotion, a position. Our identity is in what we do. If, if you ask someone, you know, about their identity, very often they tell you what they do for a living. And our identity is shifts from being in Christ to being in a position. I know we've got to work, but I think we're supposed to take Jesus to work with us. We're not supposed to get so busy that we have to pack him away in order to maintain our focus on the wrong things. We've got to realize that the busyness of work, the pace that work sets, it can't replace our relationship with Christ. You can't put him away because you're too busy working. Well, I have responsibilities. Well, you can't allow your responsibilities to cause you to be irresponsible. There are things I have to do. Right. But the first one is maintain this relationship. Keep Jesus at the table. Keep him seated at your table. Refuse to allow work to push him towards the shed. The second thing is the pursuit of personal pleasure. If we're not careful, our pursuit for personal pleasure will cause us to push Jesus towards the shed. We're more in search of comfort or ease. You know, boats, bikes, and babes. Come on, baby, let my fire. You like that? <laughs> she always throw money. We don't have time for church, but we can speed, you know, we can squeeze in speed boating or Harley riding. Psst. Sporting events, vacation. 
our pursuit for personal pleasure takes precedence over making sure Jesus is at the table. He gets packed away as long as we've got room for what we want. There was no room for him at the end. It's a picture that he got pushed right to the shed. The only way to get that which we want is to take him out. Sometimes without even thought, we make sure that what we want, there's room for. The third thing, and I had to put this one in because I'm going to pick on you, so I might as well pick on me. Ministry. Of course, I think all of us need to be aware that ministry cannot take the place of relationship. If the enemy cannot prevent you, he will promote you. In every area of your life. If he can't get you to live in poverty, he'll give you just enough prosperity that you don't have the character to handle it. And you'll use that prosperity to destroy yourself. If he can't get you to, uh, to, you know, to just not grow, he'll get you to thinking that, that you've grown beyond where you really are. And he'll get you to wipe out out there. If he can't get you to not connect and find a place in the body to thrive, then he'll get you so busy in ministry that you don't have time for health. We want a position. We want a title. We, we, no, we want to promote the kingdom. We want to not build a ministry. We want to build relationship with Jesus. It's crazy how many of us are so consumed with serving that we don't have time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Trying to prove our point that we are anointed and we are gifted and we have power and anointing. We have nothing without Him. Nothing. Nothing. So if we can get 10,000 people to join together and make a big, massive group of people with nothing, we can really make a difference. No, no, you can't. You can really just have a large group of distracted people. If you don't, be careful. You'll pursue ministry, but still be broken. Still be hurting. Still be bleeding. Still still. Be ineffective. It amazes me how many people I know when it comes to ministry that would rather have ministry than wholeness. Issues in life that simply, if they just submit and surrender, they'd find health and healing. But no, they want ministry, an opportunity. They're foolish. Hurting people hurt people. They're having church over there. I think in the morning I'm going to go to that service. There's no, there's no way around it. It's been a problem for quite some time. Remember Mary and Martha? Martha was distracted with much serving. Mary made time for the king. The fourth thing that will push Jesus towards the shed, complacency. 
We just put it off. It might be embarrassing if we were uncovered as to how satisfied we are with so little Jesus in our life. I think we have to be careful. I think we need to be satisfied, but with an unsatisfied satisfaction. That I am thrilled to be where I am, but I refuse to remain here. God has been so good to me, but I know that he's only cracked the surface. That I have to pursue, that I can't settle for passionless worship. Or a hopeless prayer life. But I can press in and refuse to become complacent because complacency pushes Jesus to the shed and lets things that don't even matter sit at the table. The fifth thing, probably one of the most dangerous of all of these, religion. Religion takes Jesus right out of the table and puts him in the back corner of the shed. We become more concerned with protocol than Lord of all. We want to pull out our rule books and pack up our Savior. There's a thing, and it has to be done this way, and we, we create hoops to jump through, and if it looks too easy, we set the hoops on fire. Religion is such a destroyer of relationship. We come to the table with all of our stuff. And we actually have to move Jesus away to make room for our stuff at His table. I think religion needs to be put in the shed. It's easy, it's easy in a room like this, you know, for us to get just, you know, just a little open and, and, and just amen. But I got to tell you, watching your faces when you walked in the room tonight. want to make sure I'm not at the wrong table. What were they, just lazy last night? They didn't want to put this stuff away? How come we don't have rows? Where's my chair? These aren't even our chairs. I don't like these chairs. I paid extra for a soft one. <laughs> not preaching to anyone in particular. Does there have to be eight chairs at my table? Can I make it just four? We should look at the rest of the story because we're out of time. Look at verse 8, and we're going to read very quickly, okay? Just flow, just let's, here we go, verse 8. And, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Everybody say all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you that you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, Goodwill towards men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. 
And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now, look at verse 16. Just a couple of things I want to point out, and, and then, we'll, then we'll go back to them all and shop. And they came with haste. Everybody say, with haste. Run to where Jesus is. Run to where Jesus is. I love it. They came with haste. They came running. Most of us are used to running late for church. <laughs> we can start the, the, the worship service, and, and sometimes we're thinking we could move out half the chairs, and by the end of the service, the building is full. So we're used to running late to church. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you ran with haste to church? Not because you were late, but because you were hungry. When's the last time you ran with anticipation? I can't wait to get in His presence. Oh, what if our attitude was to run? I got to tell you something. I look forward to every service. I really do. I, I can't wait to get in the presence of God with God's people. Because I know anything could happen. And I also know the way to shift that to a higher level of potential is when God's people share the same heart. You know, can, can I just be pastoral for a minute? <laughs> and going to anyways. <laughs> It's Christmas. I got something to give you. Okay. No. Now, here's the deal. Is it those five things that we talked about that push Jesus back? I know that when we sit and look at it, we're going, yes, that's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. But we're all doing it. And I know it's not just because we're evil. It's because we're human. We are experiencing something that is totally not normal. In the realm of church. But to you and I, it's normal. It's, we've been here for a while. You know, if you've been here more than a few weeks, you settle in. You get used to it. This is what we do. This is what God's doing. This is how church grows. This is how this happens. There's something so amazing that is occurring at the garden. It's huge. But if we could shift... And come with great anticipation, running to be with Him. Running. What if we came early? Oh, shut up. Martha, can you do that? What, what would happen? Yeah, I got to tell you, when we go to Roseburg... And uh, go, go to the, the church that we came from. And, and, I, and I get the opportunity to speak there. i, I got to tell you, the atmosphere is different now than it is when I come here. When I go to Seattle, the atmosphere is different. Because people come anticipating something different than what they normally get. See, here it is. is it's the curse of familiarity. And I'm not talking about me coming. No, here's the deal. If, if you know I'm not going to be here, many of you aren't either. So, you're not coming to worship Jesus. You've come to worship me. 
What a bunch of losers. It makes me feel good, but it makes you look like stupid people. What if we came running for Jesus? What if we expected the unexpectable? What if we ran with haste? Let me tell you what would happen. They came with haste, and they found what they were looking for. I'm almost done, but I'm going to go Pentecostal on you in a second. You get what you expect. And often you go out with nothing because you didn't come expecting to get anything. So you got exactly what you expected. And then you go home and complain about it. I don't get nothing now. You should get stuff, but now I go to church. I don't get nothing now. It's because you don't come expecting anything now. You brought your pain, your brokenness, your messed up stuff, and you come in and you don't want to deal with that. You want to justify it. So you point your finger at everything and go home empty. And I'm here tonight to tell you that the God I serve does miraculous things in every situation that he's allowed to perform. They found what they were looking for. Look at verse 17. One more point. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad. Can I just wrap this this way? You're going to experience what you expect. And what you experience will be known by those without you saying anything. You're going to experience what you expect. And what you experience will be made known to everyone around you, and you don't even have to use words. When you expect God to change you radically, God will change you radically. And you won't have to walk around with a sign that says, Hi, I'm radically changed. People will look at you and say, Who are you? And what have you done with my friend? Just a few weeks ago, in conversation with someone who had just lost a family member, they'd asked me to perform the funeral, and and I was meeting with the family, and, and they were telling an interesting story. This particular person in their life struggled with a lot of bitterness, a lot of brokenness. This family's been connected to me for many years, and I, we were talking, and he was telling me what an incredible change that had recently occurred. He was looking at a photo that was taken at Thanksgiving, and there was the family member and, his, and then this man's son and his grandson were in the photo. And he said to his wife when he saw the photo, he said, isn't that amazing? There's our son, there's our grandson. Who's that? Where has she been? Because that is not the woman that we've been visiting for the last 15 years. Because in in, in just the last few days of her life, I don't know how many times we've been in to visit with her and pray with her and and, and go over Scripture with her, but something between her and and Della kind of connected. She prayed with her, and this gal got a revelation, I'm saved. She actually found Jesus. And when she saw him, 
everyone around her knew she'd connected. So really, we carry a message, don't we? What's yours? That I've been with Jesus? Or is it, I put Jesus in the shed? There's only one or two messages. That I spend time with Jesus, or Jesus spends time in my shed. When we come to your table, your life, What's the centerpiece of you? Is it your stuff? Is it your job? Is it your position? Oh, I know. It's your religion. Or is it your Jesus? I'm glad that you have a job. But I'd rather see Jesus in you. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you have cool stuff that I can borrow. But I'd rather connect to Jesus with you. Run with haste. Run to where Jesus is. Don't pack him up with the tree and the ornament. Don't put him back in the shed. Keep him in the center, out front, anything that tries to remove him to make room for itself, cut it off. Get rid of it. Well, I have to do this job. Quit. Do whatever it takes to keep Jesus the center. Center. And everyone around you will experience the life that you experience. Amen? You close your book, bow your head, let me pray for you. You're here tonight, and you have been living life that has no room at the table. For Jesus. You haven't made a space for Him. Tonight, you, you want to receive real life that God offers through relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to repent. You're not looking for relief. You're looking for repentance. Is that you? Are you here tonight? We're all going to pray in just a moment. Whether you've prayed what we would call the sinner's prayer before, that's not the question. It, some of us have prayed it hundreds of times, yet we need to repent because we put Jesus in the shed. Maybe you've never prayed what we call the sinner's prayer. Well, you need Jesus in your life tonight. Are you here and you say, Pastor Tom, that's me. Include me in this prayer. Just hold your hand up and say, include me in this prayer. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, girls. Thank you, sir. Anyone else, just lift your hand up and say, that's me. I, thank you. I, I want Jesus to be, thank you, ma'am, the center of my life. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. I want Jesus to come to my table. If 
I have to put other things away, if I have to pack them up and push them to the back, that's what I want to do. I want to make room for Jesus, my Savior tonight. All right. Thank you. Would you just pray this prayer with me? Many hands have gone up. And like I said, many, some of you, I don't know, it might be the first time. Many of you, it's not. But tonight, we're making a fresh connection. We're opening our life up to God. We're saying, Father, we're ready to make change. When we're done praying this prayer, be prepared to change. Some things are going to have to be removed. Some of us that didn't raise our hand, some of that anger, some of that bitterness, some of that brokenness, that's got to be put away. You've got to get rid of it. Make room for Jesus at the table. As we pray this prayer tonight, let it be an honest, heartfelt prayer from the depth of your soul, your spirit, your heart. Pray this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I need you. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. Give me the tools to produce change myself. I own it. I take responsibility from this day forward to guard the table. I invite you now. Take your seat on the throne of my life. I repent for taking you down. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. Give me strength. Give me vision. Give me wisdom. I will live for you every day of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you just give the Lord a hand? Father, Father, we just praise you. Father, I exalt you. I exalt you, Lord.